Let's try now. A little, a little hot, maybe. That's okay. <laughs> hey, buddy. All right. Church family, it's good to be with you. I, I, man, I'm hearing Henry babble a little bit during the prayer. I was listening to the prayer. I'm encouraged by it. Thank you. Uh, and, I'm, and, and truly, I'm also just encouraged by my son who's waving at me right there. Uh, family, church family, you love us really well. Uh, like, I, I just think of, in Henry's case, he is... He's so much more loved than he can even comprehend, and that is the parable for our receiving God's love on us. Um, man, praise the Lord. Uh, one thing my family spends a whole lot of time thinking about during holidays is meals, and I'm guessing some of you uh, might feel the same. And I know I'm bound. We're going to take a little trip. We'll be in Pella for a week. I'm glad for time off to rest, to care for my family at home. And uh, I, I will eat a lot of awesome food. I, I trust that. And yet, yet, we know Jesus says he is the bread of life, the water that we can come to, drink without price, who satisfies. And uh, I'm just anticipating that studying the word together this morning, this evening, those are the best two meals I'm going to have all week. So let's feast on Jesus together just so we have the, I mean, the strength, the humility, the courage, the boldness to live as Christians, to care for our families, to pray for one another, to praise the Lord. So uh, from, from your pastor, Merry Christmas. If your troubles don't feel very far away, you're at the right place. If you walk in and you're ready to praise, you're at the right place. Uh, and if you're discouraged by the details of a thousand events, you're still at the right place. This isn't one more event. This is, uh, this is worship. And through Jesus, may all things we do be worship, right? So go ahead, turn to Luke 2. That's where we're going to meet and feast together. Uh, just for a little bit of a preview, Luke is a detailed sort of guy. Uh, he's put together his book to show that Jesus saves all sorts of people and that this story of the gospel is true. So he's going to ground it in some historical facts. Uh, some of it comes across a little bland, and there's a purpose in even that. So go to Luke 2, uh, and if you're able, please stand. We're going to read Luke 2, verse 1 through verse 7 together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You may be seated. Let's pray uh, together. Father, we know that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. God, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that your word doesn't come back to you empty, but it accomplishes exactly what you want it to. Uh, 
Lord, please let us be shaped by it today. Let us be motivated by it. Please show us your glory in your scriptures. And Lord, please show us your hospitality, your grace, your beauty, and your people. It's a wonderful thing to be part of your uh, covenant-made family that we are adopted in as sons and daughters through the blood of Christ. Lord, thank you, praise you, Yahweh. You are good. Thank you for your gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's get into it. Uh, I, I just recognize as, as we're studying Luke 2, some of you probably haven't heard this uh, story too many times, and others of you have probably heard it for 60, 70 years. Uh, and I, I love the way that God's word doesn't invite us to find something interesting, but to be shaped by it, right? Like, as we want to be motivated by God's glory and molded by his word, we want to feel what the text feels. Think how the text thinks. And we're not looking for something new. We just want to be faithful to it. And to do that, we have to learn a couple contextual things. Like what was going on in the world of Luke's day, of his original audience. So uh, let, let me kind of throw this out for you. I think the greatest story plot tension we're going to find here is relating to uh, how or, I mean, even if this baby that's given to Mary is going to fulfill the promises, the prophecies, which God spoke through his prophets, okay? Now, one of those prophets uh, is named Micah. This is a pretty influential uh, text that, that shapes Luke's writing. So go ahead. If you can find it quick, go to Micah 5, verse 2, uh, else we will have it on the screen in a second. Micah's way back of the Old Testament, little book right behind Jonah. It's worth seeing and meditating on. Uh, just maybe to give you a little bit of a preview. So God's message through Micah was twofold. <laughs> it was in part, God's going to bring right judgment on people who honor the Lord with their lips and hate him with their actions. And in part, it's a promise to bring a new covenant community out of the rubble that judgment will leave. Now, it includes near the middle of the book, this promise for restoring the covenant community and for bringing a new type of king. So check this out. This is Micah 5, verse 2. We read, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So that's the, that's the background, uh, that the king is coming from Bethlehem. It's pretty simple math. If Bethlehem isn't in the equation, then Jesus is not the Messiah. So when we're thinking through the situation, as Luke's readers are, we know that, okay, Mary and Joseph, they're in a town called Nazareth. That's where Joseph's from. And the prophet said that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. That doesn't add up. We've got a problem because if Jesus is born in Nazareth, he's definitely not the, the Messiah we're hoping and longing for. And as readers, we just wonder, how is God going to do this? Like, is his promised baby to Mary, is that going to be the Messiah? Maybe. If so, how is he going to cause him to be born from Bethlehem? And of all things, God uses 
a registration, right? We have the emperor calling for a census. So this is in verse 1. Read it with me. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So Caesar gets together. He's planning. He says, okay, we need some information for taxing purposes. So we're going to decree that the whole Roman Empire, all the world, will be registered and will gather that and he'll go his way and do his thing. So he spreads the word. Everybody, I need you to go to your hometown, find your home base, wherever your family is originally from, and register there. It's not that interesting, (laughs) right? Like in the Christmas story, we find politics. How about that? How about that? And Luke reports the facts, and while he does, we need to notice something. I I think it's beautiful, and it's right behind the scenes, right? As an application, let's praise God for using like a high-level political move for his glory and for the good of his people. Like what a bizarre twist. I mean, how many people in the Roman Empire have zero clue of what's going on? And they're going up. Taxes. Awesome. What is God doing? It's beautiful. Like, what we can draw out for application, Caesar intends something for one thing. We, I mean, transport it to our time. Joe Biden intends his agenda for one thing. Fox News intends their agenda for another. And God is using every intention, every purpose for one plan, for his plan. He uses it all. Nothing is outside the scope of his reign. And, and like, we, like we heard from Psalm 2 a couple weeks back, as men are plotting and scheming and planning, the Lord sits in the heavens and laughs because he has set his king on his throne. That's good news. So Christian, we, our response to government, high-level issues that might otherwise make us stress, tense up, We want it to be more and more trust in the Lord, increased trust in God's way of working, and we need it to result in unceasing prayer. Christians, you got to pray. I think those two things fuel each other. If we're a people of prayer, we'll be people who trust. So let's pray. I mean, like Jesus did, like, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's it. And that's just such a powerful testimony to the goodness of God, the majesty of God in a world that's otherwise uh, so just like desperate in the political landscape for for stability, for, for meaning. Let's be a people who trust in the Lord and praise God for his sovereign control. Um, and and so, so as we're trusting, we just recognize that there's still sometimes going to come points where, where we wonder what God's doing through X, Y, or Z. Like, we will still see some things and say, I, I trust God's have a plan, God has a plan, but I, I, don't really, I don't really know what it is. God, what are you doing? And, and I think Joseph and Mary could have asked that too. And this is where the story continues. Uh, in verse 4 and 5, we find that God's power... His will, it was working through the imperial decree, right? Like, think of Mary and Joseph. They're they're two people. They're young. Mary's pregnant. They're waiting for the baby to be born. They've got news. Hey, we got to travel about 100 miles to Bethlehem. What what were they experiencing? What what were they feeling over that? I I mean, 
we complain about <laughs> holiday travels as it is. Imagine there's not going to be a room for them available. What were they feeling? I, yeah, I mean, we don't know. We don't know exactly, but we know what they do. So if you're looking in verse 4, we find Joseph going up from Galilee, from Nazareth, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He was going to be registered with Mary. And, and notice in verse 5, it, ne- it, it mentions Mary as his betrothed. So, so we see she's engaged, she's not married, and she's pregnant. And in this culture, I mean, it, it is more than likely, it, it was the case that she was going to be bombarded with shame. I mean, I mean, this is the gift of God, and Mary is, we, we can confidently say just outcast from, from society because she's betrothed. Luke notes it. And we just ask, what is God doing? Like, this baby is a gift. It's a glorious gift to Mary. But that doesn't mean things are easy for her here. What is God doing? I mean, I mean more context. Uh, we, we find in, in the chapters leading up to this, in, through, through chapter 1, um, another couple having a baby. This is Mary's cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, who are too old to have kids. But God gave them a kid. And his name was John. John was, as Jesus would later say, the greatest of all men. So in barrenness, God brings life. It's a prototype for resurrection. From barrenness, there's life. And then in Mary's case, Mary's too young. She's not married. She can't have a kid. God gives a kid. Jesus, the Messiah, he will be great. This is the Emmanuel. So, so what's God doing? I mean, think of it. He's using the humble, the outcast, the lowly to bring his king. It's glory that's hidden. And, and I just, I love the way that God lavishes love on the lowly. We, we need to see that in this text, right? I, I think I think this is relevant and helpful for us because in our relationships, we just realize that when there's things like humiliation or failure, there's a, there's a distancing in relationships, right? And the contrast that we see is God extending his love, right? Like when there's uh, inability on human ends, there is ability and abundant grace from God. Like our weakness draws out God's heart for us. So if you're feeling weak today, see God's love. As he blesses the barren and the virgin and praise the Lord. Let, let's see. See the blessing in verse 6. The time is here. While they were there in Bethlehem, providentially, the time comes. The time came. And this is like the thrilling message that, okay, so Jesus, who should have been born in Nazareth, is born in Bethlehem. Praise the Lord. And the, the contrast there is that nobody knows. Do we see it? Like Mary and Joseph, Mary knew, Mary knew, the angel told her, nobody else knows. And before, I don't want to jump, jump ahead. Like this is the person 
the, the Messiah that Israel was longing and praying and waiting for and wondering when he would come for hundreds of years. He comes and there's not a red carpet. There's no party. There's no throne. There's a manger. Oh, it's glorious. It's unexpected. And it is beautiful. So, so the text, I mean, I mean, it puts us in this place where we see the direction. We see, in some sense, God's plan being put forward. Like, he gives his baby. Jesus is from Bethlehem. He can be the Messiah. He's qualified. But we feel some sort of surprise because he's in a manger. That's not what, I mean, that's not where a king comes from. Or is it? I mean, I think we can relate. We can. We feel some sort of direction. I know many of you here believe in Jesus, and you feel that he is the rightful reigning ruler of our lives, and yet we feel the suspense in that, like he's supposed to be coming back. If Jesus is the reigning resurrected king, why is there not peace on earth? I mean, that's the question that begs to be asked. So we feel like direction of the gospel and, and this waiting, the coming king. He is coming. But, but at large, this passage leaves us in the mystery of it where nobody knows. He's waiting in the manger. There's something else we need to see. Uh, this is in verse 7. Keep moving. Here, I'll, I'll pause when we get there. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn. That's where we pause. Um, we, we read earlier, Luke mentioned twice, David's city, Bethlehem. We connect it with Jesus as the firstborn. And, and he, he's putting together something like a, a cross-reference over to Psalm 89. Look at this. We'll put it on the screen for you. Here's what one songwriter wrote. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, I, I think this is probably talking about David in some sense, right? Like when David was on the throne, he was arguably the most important ruler on the earth, the highest of the kings. And he wasn't the firstborn. He was the, the last. And God would essentially make him his firstborn through giving this massive inheritance of a kingdom. And in Jesus, we see the better David, right? The firstborn of Mary, the highest of the kings of his earth. I mean, that's the roadmap. That's the destiny here. So we see with confidence, we can say, Jesus is the firstborn, the better David, the highest of the kings of the earth. Something we want to know. And Luke shows, too, if you think of it, how like the might of Caesar to make all the world gather is going to be flipped upside down from this little child who comes at the end of our passage who's put in the manger. It's like the total reversal, the manger throne, right? Where the humble and unimpressive baby will become the highest of all kings awesome. And uh, I, I think it all kind of summarizes to this, that, that we need to be certain. Luke says he writes his things so we could 
can know so we can be certain that Jesus, who's born in Bethlehem, is the promised Messiah. There, I mean, there's nothing, <laughs> I say it's nothing, there's nothing radical to it. There is something radical to it. It's that Jesus is the one. We don't want that to be numb on our ears and our hearts. God, help us to feel it. Uh, I have a friend who, <laughs> so a friend who, refer, referring to his relationship with Jesus, says, I may be a nut, but I'm screwed onto the right bolt. And I love that. This is the right bolt, right? If we're going to anchor something, it needs to be the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the thing we've got to hold on to till we die. It's a game-changing truth, and, and it is for everyone. I mean, even if we have heard it 70 years, praise God, we don't just want to hear it, we want to believe it. And believing in something we need moment by moment to live in the grace that God would have us live in. So, it's good news. Let me talk first. If, if, if you've heard it and haven't believed it, if, if you don't believe it, there, there's nothing else than believe it. <laughs> Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one. We don't have to wonder the prophets said it. God planned it. Jesus is the one. And he's the only one who can rescue us from sin, the penalty of sin, God's just wrath on the ungodly. We were all in that, right? And praise the Lord that he's rescued us. That's good news. And, and if you've believed this, I think we can, we, can, we can say, well, don't drift in doubt. If the intention is to know this, we want to know it. And we want to know with confidence that Jesus is the one, that he has the power to save, that he loves us. He loves weak people, praise the Lord, and he will hold us fast in faith until he comes again. That's good news. Uh, we sang three very familiar Christmas songs at the beginning. Uh, this one, I, I guess it depends on how you look at it, if it's a Christmas song or not. This is the one we're going to go to is called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And, and I think, no, I don't think, this is biblical. There is, in beholding, there is glorying, delighting that goes to the Lord. Our praise, weak and imperfect, but perfected by Jesus living in us. Let me, let me just share, I, I think it's helpful to, to sometimes read songs because our minds can sometimes just, Zoom to the melody when we sing them. So let me read it. We, we will sing it in a minute. This is so refreshing for my heart. It says, Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of a king, the incarnation. Okay? He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail, weak humanity. In our longing and the darkness we lived in, now the life Light has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Like that is incarnation. And it doesn't stop there, does it? Verse two, he's the perfect son of man. He's suffered, but he's not sinned. He's the true and better Adam. He's come to save the hell-bound man. And he's the fulfillment of the law that we stand in. He's the one who's nailed to the tree in the stead of sinners, and he takes the victory from the device that should be the loss 
He redeems us with great price. The Father's plan unfolds so that many sons would be brought to glory and would know him. And the fourth verse is got to be my favorite, and I'm not going to read it to you because I want you to listen and look when we sing. So we'll pray and we'll sing to our good king. Let's do it. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son to earth. Uh, Thank you for identifying with us in our weakness, but doing it perfectly without sin. How good is your plan? How good is your son? Lord, help us to be moved by your word and your spirit and use your people that we might glory in your name in a way that's fitting for you because all we've got is not, I mean, it's not enough, but yet you've, you've loved us. You've loved the, the lowly and unimportant. Thank, thank you for that. What a gift. Help us to see the gift, to trust the gift. And Lord, we don't want it to be the case that nobody knows. Uh, so motivate us by your glory into mission, to, li- to live with our, with our families, with our workplaces in a way that honors you and spreads the greatest news of all. Uh, so give us great joy uh, to that end. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.